just trying to make sure that we're hitting. When I'm hitting, I'm hitting right in the zone where we want to be. So you're in the zone? Am I in the zone? Are we in the zone? Are we Is all Jaylen in the zone? In the zone? John Tower, the real NBA fantasy NBA hybrid co- podcast brought to you by Kyle Stein, Jalen Utsi, and Michael Kimball. We are still in the Eastern Conference. We're moving on to the Southeast Division. And we're going to take them in order, starting with the Orlando Magic, who won the division last year, 42-40, and 40, a seventh seed. They essentially seem to run it back. They signed Vooch to a big contract. Um, they didn't bring in a whole lot of other players besides maybe Aminu. Um, why did the Orlando Magic basically decide to run back a somewhat mediocre squad? Because they're the Orlando Magic, um, I don't know. Do you guys? One of you guys want the answer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so G- give the, us the answer to the test. The Mr. answer Kimball. to this question: If you look at the Orlando Magic after the All Star break, do you want to guess at what their record was in those last thirty-one games? I know it was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was twenty-two and nine. And I think that's what the Magic are doing. They're running back that 22-9 and nine team. I think they're hoping some for some improvements. Um, maybe Fultz shows up at point guard. Uh, maybe Amino gives them some big backup minutes. Some improvement from Isaac. Another great season from Vooch. Does it get them there? Does it get them anywhere? Does it get them into the top four seeds? Yeah. So, so, I mean, here's the question. I feel like I'm skipping a lot of steps here, but um, a couple of years ago, the Heat were also great, I think, post-All-Star break. And then they signed a bunch of free agents to expensive three-year contracts, and they regressed. Um, the Magic didn't exactly do that, you know. Um, I'm not sure if I'm a huge fan of how much money they gave to, to Ross, but the other contracts are pretty reasonable. Um, so they're running it back. Um, and I think they do have a calling card of defense. I think the Magic were um, eighth uh, in defensive rating last year. So if they can keep that up, if they can be top 10 in their defensive rating and some of their guys can make some incremental improvements, maybe they are able to run it back and maybe they are able to get back into the playoffs without you know major changes. It but, is one of the but, things that happened in the second half was a kind of big improvement from Jonathan Isaac. Uh, we saw him putting up some actual offensive numbers that everybody was looking for. But having him in that lineup seems to be a key to their lockdown D. And the Magic are clearly, you know, the, the lack of offseason moves are clearly about their youth. And I think that they do feel like they made a big move in going out and getting Markel Fultz. I think that they, in, I hope, rightly, um, got a player who can be an impact you know, guard and, uh, and, you know, an impact player at a position that they need. And uh, he's on the same timeline as the rest of their team. Um, you know, the, the oldest of their impact players right now is Aaron Gordon. Yeah. Um, and they have other young key pieces uh, on the rise. I think Fultz, I'm, I, you know, I just hope Fultz has a decent season. So, Twitter and Instagram and every place else this shows up can stop bashing the poor guy. By all reports, he's healthy and working his butt off, and I hope there's a jump shot. Yeah, well, we're not seeing any, you know, um, summer sizzle reel sauce videos this summer. Um, So I think that's good for him uh, because he's not giving the Twitter heads um, and the eggs on Twitter any fodder to start saying, you know, it doesn't matter, do it in the game. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm rooting for him. He was exciting coming out of college. Hopefully, he's able to turn it around. Um, and I feel like yeah. the Magic haven't really had a go-to uh, impactful point guard in a while. They keep they keep drafting them, and they keep not working out. But and DJ Augustine's serviceable. That's he's, what I was going to say. It's low risk. He's he he, he he's was fine. great in that he Toronto. Provides series. a decent line. You, you you know, it's there. But if they're going to go anywhere. Career. Hot, yeah, it's false. Yeah, Augustin's career 38% shooter from three. Um, he shot 42% from three last year. I think um, I saw someone posted on Twitter, I think it was Matt Moore, that DJ Augustin was in like the 90th percentile on uh, pull-up jumpers out of the pick and roll. 
uh, particularly from three. So, nice. um, yeah, I think I think if there's an area for concern, it's maybe that he had a career year. Um, uh, he shot 42 percent. I think the highest uh, other percentage he had was 43 percent in his rookie year um on about the same number of attempts uh but so i mean if there's a concern it's that he had an aberrational year but i mean i think he's um a really good shooter the numbers bear that out at 38 percent for his career so i think the magic are an interesting team too because um with the moves they made last year and with the re-signings they run about 12 deep maybe 13 deep with guys who played real minutes last year so um, those rotations, I think, are going to be pretty interesting. I think it's pretty hard to tell what they'll be at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think as we're doing these um, divisional previews, these division previews, um, and we're going through the Eastern Conference, what I'm noticing is um, how lineups work and what lineups are effective, I think, is an interesting conversation with all these teams, but especially teams that – um, can go either way, right? Yeah. We know what the Sixers are going to be. We know what the Bucks are going to be, and we expect them to be pretty good. We expect them to make the playoffs. We expect them to advance far in the playoffs. But these other teams, you know, for example, like two in this division, the Magic and the Heat, you know, the Magic made the playoffs last year. The Heat did not. Um, and the Magic didn't change much. The Heat did change things. But, you know, in both situations, it feels like things can go either way. Um, I think the most played lineup, obviously, naturally was the starting lineup for um, the Magic with DJ Augustin, Vucevic, uh, Fournier, Gordon, and Isaac. Um, and they were uh, plus 2.4 uh, for the season in their 852 minutes. And I think uh, Isaac, as you were saying, is probably a commonality in their best lineups. So... I mean, I think the Magic are interesting. They've got Steve Clifford, who's this defense-first coach who always seems to get his teams to play better um, and outperform their expectations based on the fact that they play hard, they play really good defense. And the Magic, to their credit, I feel like the one thing they have done is consistently drafted really long athletic fours. Now, maybe they're drafting way too many fours. Um, Some of them end up being fives or not being fives or fours but you know they are drafting athletic defensive minded uh guys so I think it's paying off now that they've got a coach who can really take advantage of it and we haven't even talked about Vooch at this point Nikola Vucevic uh who had a career year last year um he put up almost 21 points per game um 12 rebounds 3.8 assists um, he had a 25.5 PER, um, and there was a lot of speculation that they wouldn't re-sign him, um, partially for the timeline that I was talking about before, um, and because they have Mobamba waiting in the wings, and they have Jonathan Isaac um, as another um, big man, a four, but who can play up um, in certain lineups. Um, also, that I mean, we should follow the the Vooch conversation but I'm I'm interested in Kem Birch too who had a really good end of the season and who is listed as the the number three center and you would imagine with um, the way he was playing at the end of the last year that they have some expectations of working him into lineups yeah I mean you would think they'd be want to wanting to bring Mo Bamba along um, since they spent a high draft pick on him but I imagine Steve Clifford's going to play the guys that can produce i think he has a track record of doing that the other thing i think we need to talk about are the re the uh, we've been talking about the real nba here i think we need to talk about the fantasy aspects here um we've been talking about vucevic i have some worry that we'll see some regression after that really great season especially as we see some other players on the team rise um, I'm a little worried about taking him as high as he's ranked uh, by some players, I think, or by some um, websites. I think uh, Jonathan Isaac had a really nice second half, some seriously good flashes. I'm hopeful he carries that through. There could be a lot of upside there um, as a fantasy draft pick. And then um, Terrence Ross uh, has shown up rated fairly low on a couple of early sites he was incredibly productive last year in that six-man role, and I kind of see him doing that again this year. 
All three of those guys will put up serious fantasy numbers for you in interesting ways, depending on your build. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I can speak to Aaron Gordon. I had him on my team last year, and he, um, you know, it's shocking to see that he doesn't average a block or steal game, and that's really kind of where he's hurting you uh, with those defensive stats. For someone who is as athletic as him, you would expect him to put up better defensive stats. But he is giving you 3.7 assists last year, 7.4 rebounds a game. So if you want to get some sort of out of position uh, assist numbers and steal numbers, you know, outside of the the point guard position, outside of the center position when it comes to rebounds, he's definitely someone you want to look at. Uh, The shooting percentage isn't great at 44%. Um, but you know, he's probably the go-to guy on this magic roster until further notice. So, uh, he's definitely going to have shot attempts. Um, he's going to be able to score. He averaged 16 points last game, averaged seven last year, averaged 17.6 the year before. So, um, you won't be hurting for stats if you have Aaron Gordon on your team. I think he could go as high as the fifth round. He's probably closer to a seventh or eighth round player. Um, Vooch is even with some regression, I'd imagine still a second or third round still player. Still a second round player. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, um, Jonathan Isaac has a lot of potential with those steal and block numbers. He could be a 1 1 1 guy, which would put him in the conversation of, you know, like mid round value between, I, I mean, I could see him being drafted as high as like the sixth round, maybe. Um, Might even with, maybe with your, with your it build. It could be five with the right build. Yeah. I mean, he could be an extremely valuable player, um, especially as his offensive numbers go up and those rebound numbers get consistent. Terrence Ross can go out there and get three pointers for you. Um, Evan Fournier should have some value in deeper leagues, but he's going to he's going to be on the fringes, even, you know, even on in our like 14 team league, he's going to be, you know, sort of a, a bench part of the roster player. Any other fantasy thoughts? I mean, you'd think, I mean, Bamba's Bamba was supposed to come in and get you blocks and three pointers. And he didn't show much last year, but I could see if you are in a you know, in a in a dynasty or in a keeper league, um, and you have deep rosters and some, you know, opportunity for development, um, still taking a flyer on him, but I notice um, you know, projections on him have been down. Um, They're definitely down. Basketball Monster has him at only 17 minutes uh, a game at this point. Um, I think that leading into his injury last year, the Magic were starting to lose a little faith, and I think that's being reflected now. Yeah, Josh Lloyd even said that he doesn't have, you know, high hopes for Bamba. Um, I feel sort of sorry for him. He's a really nice guy. I remember all those great videos of him shooting threes before last season, convincing us that he all had a great future, or convincing us that he had a great future. Um, I'm a little worried for him now. Um. Can, can we talk about Markel Fultz in fantasy? He seems to me, you know, if you're in a keeper dynasty format, he seems to me too valuable – Potentially, his, upside. his upside's you know so high. You know he has the potential to be an all star. I don't think he has the potential to be a superstar, but I do still think that he has the potential to be an all star if he can get his shot back. If and he's healthy, I'm still not going to even rule out superstar. I mean, he has the body. He like coming in, our projections were so high. The problems. I don't think he ever had a chance to play a, without the problems. I don't think we ever saw that guy. I think he might have a little bit of what we were talking about last time with um, with Eric Bledsoe, where you have such pronounced, you know, dysfunction. You know, it's the Yerkes Dodson effect again. Yeah, <laughs> where where he. The stimulus however, for the situation is too much. Yeah, however he recovers from it, he's going to be less than what he could have been had he not gone through this. Will that mindset that he had coming out of college, it, will that ever exist again? You should hang out with Kobe. 
<laughs> not a huge. Is you know, Kobe gonna want to hang out with? I'm him? not a huge Kobe booster, but I mean, if the I'm thing, not at all. Just to the, be clear, <laughs> if the thing that you need is confidence, I mean, I do completely believe in Kobe's ability to instill confidence. Yeah, I mean, I t- I tend to agree with you that um, you know he won't he likely won't reach uh, the potential that he had before this incident just for having gone through this incident or these incidents, and I think there was a real injury there. Um, you know, as medical reports suggest. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I, I just I just hope it works out. He was he's exciting, he's long, he's sort of got this unique, odd athleticism too, with these constant herky jerky spin moves and um these sort of long strides. So it would be great to see him play, it would be great to see him find his stride in the league. Um, so best of luck to to Fultz. And, and that's the real NBA part of it. I think the fantasy NBA part of it, there's an interesting question too, because either of these guys, if you draft them for your team, you're going to be drafting them late. You're going to be drafting them cheap if it's an auction draft. Uh, and there might be, there's going to be serious value for DJ Augustine as long as Fultz doesn't become really, really good really early in the season. Fultz is going to have some possible upside if that happens. So there's a really interesting fantasy decision there. Maybe you take both, cuff yourself, get rid of the one that isn't working. Yeah, because I don't think that you have too much of a threat from Michael Carter-Williams. They like him. He'll get minutes, but he's not the guy. Yeah. I just don't see him getting his shooting and being an impact player the way that they need him to be. But they also, you know, as Jalen, as you're pointing out, they hang their hat on defense, and he's a big, long point guard who can disrupt passing lanes and do the things that they need him to do. And it may be just enough that Markel Fultz isn't giving that they that he he does get those minutes. I mean, as we touched upon at the beginning of the pod, the fact that they didn't add much this offseason is an indication, I think, as you pointed out, Kyle, that they are trying to stick to this youth movement and they are trying to develop their guys that they already have in-house. So um, that would suggest that Fultz would get a chance. Um, the depth charts that I have up suggest that he's the backup point, which suggests he's going to get some minutes. But obviously that all depends on his availability um, and how healthy he is and how capable he is of playing. But yeah, I mean, I think Carter Williams will have a place to play, but I don't think you're ever going to push him over someone else with greater talent because you know for all his abilities size um you know effectiveness in the in transition I think generally speaking we know what he is and what he can provide to a basketball team before we wrap up can you remind me who's who um Al Faruq Aminu's whose minutes Al Faruq Aminu is going to pick up were those Jonathan Simmons minutes I think so. Simmons is a big chunk there. Yeah. Because that's an interesting upgrade. Because, I mean, well, talking about people place, who those... disrupt and are just generally, you know, out there providing secondary necessary things for a scrappy team. I mean, Al Farouk Amino yeah. is a, yeah. a good upgrade. He, uh, um, Yeah, we didn't talk about him much. I think it was a very interesting pickup for their depth. Um and Amino is picking up some of Simmons's minutes. I wonder if he also picks up some of Iwundu's minutes um, as he moves farther down the depth chart. Um, and I could see Amino backing up both the small forward and power forward positions, depending on need. So a uh, very interesting pickup. Um, great if you're punting field goal percentage. Um uh, for your fantasy team, um, Amino can be a really sneaky pick there. Lots of rebounds, shoots the three, gets some defensive numbers too. Um, so that's the Orlando Magic. Let's move on to the Charlotte Hornets, the second place team in the Southeast Division last year. 39 and 43. They tied with Miami, but had the tiebreaker. I think the big questions here are how bad will the Charlotte Hornets be this year? And how much does that frustrate Michael Jordan? I mean, I mean, it's got to frustrate him. We know he's hyper competitive, but also it's also extremely amusing because he keeps making bad decisions, bad choices with draft picks and trades and signing Terry Rozier. So it's kind of hard. I mean, retirement Jordan is just a crying meme over and over, just a Jordan <laughs> crying meme at every turn. I mean, he can't he can't help himself. It whether it's the genes, whether it's his draft picks. I mean, he can't get out of his own shadow. 
why? Why <laughs> Why are those decisions so bad? Why can he be on a basketball court and make amazing decisions and see the game in a way nobody else can? And why off the court are we signing Terry Rozier to that contract? I don't know. I mean, I've heard talked about and read on podcasts that maybe he keeps a small circle of basketball minds that he's trust, you know, sort of the Mitch Kupchak's. Uh, these people who are sort of tangentially tied to the Lakers brain trust who also seem to operate in the same way as in we've got a family or we have people that we trust and we just follow their guidance on all of these matters. But, you know, the league has changed, the league has evolved, and it seems like um, the Hornets organization, um, or at least Michael Jordan in particular, it hasn't really evolved with the league in terms of the personnel decisions he's been making. In potential defense of the Hornets and, and Michael Jordan. Terry Rozier could be good this year. The could be. There <laughs> you know, I Yes. I recognize <laughs> I, rec- okay. I recognize yeah. I recognize the unlikelihood of this. But you know, let's let's say for, for you know, just the sake of imagination, um, Terry Rozier is backing up Kyrie Irving after having a very good season where he was playing in place of Kyrie Irving and feels that he deserves a bigger role. And Kyrie Irving is moody and is generally not a great locker room presence. And Terry Rozier, like a lot of the Celtics last year, doesn't get into his groove. And this year, he comes out with something to prove. He comes out a little angry. Uh, and he comes out firing and he, you know, as the counterpart to our Eric Bledsoe's and Markel Fultz's manages to have, you know, a really lit year simply because he's in an environment that gives him the opportunity to do it. Do I still think that he will live up to that contract? Maybe not, but he might live up to 90% of it. Right. And at that point, you know, no one's going to know the difference. At 90%, I think everybody in the Hornets organization will be pretty happy, I would believe. And I get what you're saying. It's entirely possible. We've seen him do it before. Unfortunately, it's been over a year since we've seen him do it. And the other issue I would suggest is that he did have opportunities last year when Irving was out and some other things. And and if he truly was trying to prove something, he still had other opportunities to do that while backing up Irving. It never happened last year. He's making $19 million. He's making almost $20 million. Yeah, but NBA salaries in general are so high that that's it's high and it's it's an overpay. But yeah, no, it, no, you're it's right. The modern day NBA salary. No, I mean I get that, but I guess what I'm saying is the fact. What I'm saying is that the Hornets chose not to pay Kemba Walker, someone who is you know the best player they've had in years, um, someone who was committed to the organization, committed to the city, committed to the community, uh, someone who had gotten them to the playoffs before. And I understand not wanting to pay him the his supermax, um, and I don't know if he would have taken less than the supermax. But it seemed like the offer that they finally did uh, provide him or bring to him was even below, not only below the supermax, but below what the max would have been below the supermax. Right. So, I mean, that's just sort of you just can't do that, right? I mean, essentially what they said is we don't want you on the team. That's they what they told were saying. him to leave with those offers. Yeah. They basically <laughs> said if you want to save face, in a sense. You have to leave. Yeah. So he left. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, that part that part of it just doesn't make sense to me because no matter how good Terry, Ro- Terry Rozier is, I don't expect him to be better than Kemba Walker. Um, and they didn't really get a bargain for him anyway. So it's not like they're getting Terry Rozier's production at a bargain. Um, they're, they're saving some money, but it's not, you know, astronomical, the figures that they're saving between – Kimball Walker and Terry Rozier, especially since they had already decided they weren't going to give him the Supermax. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think Batum could have a bounce back year if he can stay healthy. Miles Bridges could be better. Um, I, I I love Miles Bridges. Well, next before year. we move I on, I just want to get. That I did. Out I there. did want to get. I wanted to give you a chance to finish that. But <laughs> Kemba Walker is making thirty-seven million dollars in the final year of that contract, and that's a hefty figure. I mean, that's almost double what Rogier is making. Um, 
He, yeah, I mean, I, he's I recognize making, he's, he's a making star. Thirty-two yeah. million this year is what I'm saying. So he's, no, he's making, making thirty-two million next year. He makes thirty-four million this year. Okay, so the way they structure the contract, it dips down in the second year and then it rises again for the third and fourth. Okay, so for he's a total making, of one hundred forty-one million. He's making thirty-four million this year, and Terry Rozier is making twenty million. So I mean, the difference between them is like reflective of their abilities. So yes, I understand he's going to be making a lot more, but. What do the Hornets have to offer anyways? They they seem to they seem never to want to do a full-on tank anyways. So, uh they're likely going to be shooting for the playoffs again. They're going to be in the middle. They're not going they're not especially cheap as it is because they already have bad contracts in in Batum on on the roster. So, I mean, I don't know. I would like to see a full teardown, which is easy to say as like a fan or from an outside perspective because you're not the one who has to go to the stadium and deal with all the losses and all these sorts of things. But, I mean, it's time. It's time to, like, bite the bullet and recognize where they're at and, you know, build from the bottom. Um, and that Are they waiting thing. for Steph Curry to come home? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I can't wait to see that ESPN special. Does Michael Steph Jordan Curry coming he wants, home? He wants to go back to North Carolina and golf. Does Michael Jordan even like Steph Curry? He probably thinks he's terrible. He's probably like, oh, you just got to push up on him. He it's is over. A, he is a businessman now. <laughs> he is thinking about how he would have defended Curry back in the day and just cannot stomach it. Well, he's idea. trying to think of how the Pistons would have guarded <laughs> The, the curry rules. I I think you're right about the teardown though. Um, if they could find a taker for Batum, I could see Marvin Williams being traded at some point next season. That center position's entirely questionable. Um, I think one of the things we're going to see from the Charlotte Hornets is what Miles Bridges can do. I think there's going to be a ton of opportunity for him next year. I think we're going to see some other young players um, possibly make a mark. Devontae Graham had a couple of interesting games uh, toward the end of last season. Uh, Basketball Monster has Dwayne Bacon slotted in as the starting shooting guard. Um, oh, over Batum? Yeah. Interesting. Well, they or have Batum they have... at the three. They move Batum to so three. Miles and then Bridges they have is coming off the bench. No, he's at no, the four. They have Oh, so they have Marvin Williams coming off the bench. Really? So, let's see. That's an interesting one to check. Yeah, it's Marvin Williams coming off the bench. They've moved Bridges to the four. So, Basketball Monster is suggesting Rogier, Bacon, Batum, Miles Bridges, Cody Zeller will be the starting five, with Monk uh, being the sixth man and getting some opportunity, his last gasp of a chance, presumably, and with Marvin Williams being the seventh man. Devontae Graham being the well, eight man and backing up Rogier. How many power forwards are in the second unit then? You've got Marvin <laughs> I'm just Williams, telling you what's here. PJ Washington. It's a poorly constructed team. <laughs> Michael Kid Gilchrist as your I mean I guess Kid Kid Gilchrist can is, is maybe technically a small forward but he he's he played up shoot, to the so he, he, has he can't shoot so he has to play the four kind <laughs> this of. This is a poorly poorly constructed. I mean, do you like either of these centers? Okay, so do so, you want like who like who do we actually want from the? Also, you were, if this did was you your realize team, that Willie Hernan Gomez had a second last name, Guerre? <laughs> Not until just this I, I, moment. Willie I thought Hernan he was going to break Guerre. out two years ago, and the Knicks didn't give him minutes before they traded him. I feel like this kid has something. in He him. keeps getting drafted in fantasy, like people believe in him. Yeah, he looks great on the court. If you see him in junk minutes, he's amazing. So so we're back on the lineups because, I mean, I think this is something that we should all take note of. I think looking at teams, especially in the preseason, it's all about lineup. It's all about roster construction. And we want to see, like, does this team make sense on paper, right? Because all we have is on paper until the season starts. But do they make sense from a talent perspective? Um, are there competing skill sets or overlapping skill sets? Or are the skill sets complementary? Um, so, I mean... Yeah. ESPN's depth chart has Terry Rozier, Batum at the two, Bridges at the three, Williams at the four, and Zeller at the five. And I feel like that makes the most sense. But, you know, I also could see Dwayne Bacon, you know, pushing himself uh, into the starting lineup. So it's interesting to see um, what they want to do. I mean, I think Marvin Williams is probably the steadiest player left on the roster. If he's Um, healthy. Yeah, if he's healthy. But he's not a high usage guy. So. Um, you know, he's sort it of might a one-one-one one, one guy in the right build, but um, 
I'm worried about him as a fantasy pick just because I kind of expect him to be traded this year, and you don't know what the situation is where he's going to land. And he had one of his best fantasy years ever last year. He was in the 80s for most of the season, I think, until— It was mostly back half, wasn't it, though? Or do I did I flip I'm trying I'm trying to remember. I thought that he was good in the first half, but maybe I have it wrong. Yeah. I think what I will say is though, um Real GM has the lineup a little differently. It has uh Williams on the bench and Bacon at the two, Batum at the three, and Bridges at the four. And I think Bridges at the four makes more sense than him at the three. Um so that's just a small note. I mean, and that just goes back to what you were saying about whether you have redundancies or whether you have complementary players and they have a lot of redundancies mm-hmm. and they have uh, they have a lot of wings who can't shoot um, who tend toward the power forward position um, who don't have a ton of, of you know dribble drive ability who um, don't have a ton of athleticism in that way um, um, you know Marvin Williams and Michael Kidd Gilchrist can can jump and move around the floor really well, but they can't do it with the ball in their hand. And uh, And they basically have no threes. Batum, if Batum's at the three, who's who's the backup three? Who's like the pure three on the roster besides Batum? Miles Bridges, I think, is who they're thinking. Yeah. Yeah, there's no other pure three here. Um, it's, it's, It's a weird team construction. Uh, if we're looking at the fantasy here, um, there are a couple of really big opportunities uh, that we've already sort of discussed. I think Miles Bridges has a lot of upside and is going to get a lot of opportunity this year. Malik Monk is the sixth man. Um, there's an interesting opportunity there, though. Basketball Monster only has him slotted in for 23 minutes, but he had a really great opening to the season last year, that first three, four weeks looked like he was just going to break out, and then it all fell apart. So I love him for a flyer on the back end of your lineup. Um, After that, we have some guys with some upside. Bacon um, and Devontae Graham are kind of interesting, but they would probably be waiver wire pickups later. Bacon you might be taking if he has a good preseason. I want to caution you for fantasy against Terry Rozier. You're punting field goal percentage for sure. You're definitely punting field goal percentage. And if you get in a competitive bidding situation for him, you could be wasting a lot of money. And if you're just doing, um, if it's just a snake draft and picks, you could be wasting a pick here. I'm really worried about his fantasy outlook. And also, we were both right and wrong in that Marvin Williams played the whole year, and he was consistent throughout the whole year. Okay. He he had a very even year. I think he played all 82 games. Wow. Okay. So just to follow up on Rozier, he is a career 38% shooter from the field. That's from the field, not from three. He's a career 38% from the field i just want to repeat that uh 38 from the field so if you are in an auction draft maybe save your money and let him drop and let someone else you know if you want to upbid people for him sure do that but don't get caught holding the bag on terry rogier in your auction draft what is his assist to turnover um good question let's see if i can pull that up um oh and also cody zeller someone who i picked up a couple times last year and he can he can do some nice things for you the problem is that he is inevitably going to get injured which is sad to say is also bad for your fantasy team so you just got to be aware of that if you can get him as a backup big as your second center that's probably a good place um to pick him up but you you certainly don't want to be relying on him exclusively also marvin williams has played at least 76 games for each of the last five years Wow. It was not all 82 last year. It was 75, but he's played. I'm sorry, so 75. Well, I'm mixing him la- up with somebody. Yeah. I'm mixing him up with some Probably other Kid power Gil- forward. I think it's Kid Gilchrist, okay. who okay. has been out a lot. Um, the Charlotte Hornets have an incredibly bleak outlook. Um, the real team, uh, but there are some interesting options for your fantasy team. Just avoid uh, some potential crater picks like Terry Rozier. 
And I feel like this is the first team where I just really need to make this evaluation. Not a league pass team. Not. I'll, I'll watch because of Miles Bridges. But only because know, he went to MSU. Only because he went to MSU. All right, we're moving on uh, to the Miami Heat, a very important team for one of the people in this studio right now. Um, we had a huge trade in the offseason, Jimmy Butler coming in. My question to start us off with the Miami Heat, can Jimmy play nice with this team? <laughs> That's a good question. So – it's interesting. I'm in a an interesting position here as a Miami native uh, and naturally a Heat fan. Currently wearing the Vice City hoodie. Um, it's it's a keeper, so I don't know if it's still out there on the internet. But if it is, definitely go pick it up. It's very nice. I get compliments everywhere I go. Uh, so if you want some, <laughs> you know, fantasy NBA suggestions, real NBA suggestions, and maybe a few fashion tips, come to this pod. Hey Jalen, have you watched Miami Vice? Um, I have not. What? You at least never? You should at least watch the first episode with that uh Phil Collins song uh, as the closing music Just on it. Just to get a little of the Crockett yeah. and Tubbs interaction <laughs> yeah. too. I mean, and as a Miami native, I feel like it's yeah, it's it is. necessary. And it is necessary. I feel like I I hadn't seen The Wire when I got to Baltimore and then I have I've now seen it like three times since I've been here. So, And just given the colors on your hoodie right now, you're going to appreciate some of the fashion they're bringing. Oh, yeah. No, no, I've, I've seen it. I, I've seen sort of, you know, clips here and there, but I haven't watched the full thing. But I, I what I was going to say is that I'm in an interesting position because last year I was the person who was like, why are we doing this with Jimmy Butler? Why are we allowing Jimmy Butler to act like he's LeBron James and he can lead you to a championship? And so he's just going to like – throw his weight around and demand a trade and mess up practices and then do three hour interviews with Rachel Nichols. And I'm just like, what is happening? What is happening? Um, I think my two stances last year were um, Jimmy Butler's not good enough to be doing this. And that Jason Tatum is also not good enough for the praise that he was getting. And I will say I look pretty good on both of those. Uh, but um, <laughs> for, for this year, I mean, I think that there's a lot of incentive incentive for jimmy butler to play nice as you said um he's finally at a destination where i think he wants to be um he believes and i think is embracing heat culture um also i just don't think the heat really put up with that they traded hassan whiteside as soon as they could for much the same reason and you know it's jimmy's legacy also if he gets to another stop here in miami and things don't work out or he throws a hissy fit or he has to leave or he has to leave, you know, it's going to start looking worse for him than it is for the organizations he's playing for. I don't want to filibuster anymore. He is, he could become the next Carmelo, a great player sitting on the sidelines because he can't work in the new NBA. And part of the new NBA isn't just the way the game is played on the court. It's the kind of person you are on the team. You're saying that about Jimmy Butler. Yes. You're saying that Jimmy Butler could turn out like Carmelo Anthony. I'm saying Jimmy Butler, he could who be made his a player who is considered. It sounds. No, no, you're, you're, you're missing the point here. You're, we're talking about guys no, no, I got, who I got crater the point. teams. I, I, got, I got the point about players who crater teams. But another part of that point was this, this sort of new player in the NBA. And. Jimmy Butler just came off of playoffs where they were one win away from going up against what could have been a very beatable Bucks team for them too. And I mean one of the keys being one win away. Did and he not would, happen, did not get done. And he was awesome. He was awesome, he was awesome in, in that, that setting series. on the court. We also know the Sixers let him go. I don't think things were perfect there. I think there was a lot of attitude coming from him. We heard bits this... about it when he first came over. We heard about the stuff between Brett Brown and him. And Brett Brown smoothed it all over, but I don't think it was smooth. I think Jimmy Butler was doing some of the same stuff with the Sixers, and I think it's why they moved him on. I don't think they moved him on. I think he moved on. I think that's the biggest part of it. I think they got out of it what they could in getting Josh Richardson, and we'll have a chance to talk about that more with the Sixers. Although we'll, we'll, we should mention it here too because that is the trade-off now that they made was they didn't sign Jimmy Butler outright. They 
signed and traded him for Josh Richardson, who was a you know a very important piece uh, for them in the last couple of years, and they developed him like they thought that he was going to be you know a leading player. Yeah, I will say I'm rooting for Jimmy Butler. I'm rooting for the Heat, but I think to your point and to both of your points, what makes what made Jimmy Butler great, you know, his grit, his toughness, um, his relentless work ethic, especially on the defensive end. Um, that's how he made his name. That's how he got his start in the league. But the problem is, once he got to a certain level of stardom um, and ability, he wanted everyone else or demanded everyone else to work as hard as he did. And sometimes the way in which he went about that just was abrasive or ineffective or just sort of out of bounds for the players that he was working with and the organizations that he was uh, competing with. So, I mean, I think we can all agree that he just wants to win, but, you know, these things don't happen in a vacuum. You know, there's a reason that players like Steph Curry and Tim Duncan get lauded as these uh, amazing leaders, and there's a reason why there's like, um, you know, a sort of carnage of ex-teammates uh from people like kobe and jordan um with these like stories of them being berated in practices now those teams won also jordan and kobe won at an elite level so it's not to say that you can't have success with that but um you know as of yet jimmy butler hasn't had that success with those methods so i think there is at least some cause for concern especially since this is a fairly new team. They they did lose Josh Richardson. Um, they're expecting Justice Winslow to take another step forward. Uh, Gordon Drogic is coming back, and I'm sure he has something to prove, and he wants to get his minutes and score his points. Dion Waiters is in shape again, so, you know, he's going to want to be scoring and uh, making a name for himself again. Uh, Bam Adebayo is going to be a starter for the first time, full-time starter for the first time, and I think that's going to go well, but I do wonder, you know, against the biggest centers in the league, will he be, will he be able to hold up in that situation? So, it's interesting. I mean, I certainly could see the season not going the way Jimmy Butler wants, and then we'll all get to see how he handles that situation. Well, it's especially interesting because I expect them not to be as good as the Sixers will be this year, right? So the situation yeah. the situation he left Definitely. is— Unless they make another trade, which there's been talk they, of, they, but yeah. they just don't really have the resources to yeah, make the kind capped. of— Yeah, to make the kind of move that they would need to, to get on tough. the level with— the Sixers seems unless Jimmy Butler really does turn into you know the next Michael Jordan and he, you know, right. And we were all point, we were all wrong about sure. him. They want Bradley Beal, <laughs> but I don't know what they're gonna have to give up or what they can. Oh, give just up Dion to Waiters, Bradley just Beal. straight up Dion Waiters. For, <laughs> he is for in Bradley shape. Beal. We've seen the pictures. Yeah, he lost thing. the weight. Skinny Dion, Bradley Beal, one yeah. of the same. It's the yeah. Spider Man meme. I actually do think that the Bra- that the Dion Waiters. Um, backing up Jimmy Butler uh, is an interesting dynamic, knowing his just his history. Um, it, I mean, his history going all the way back to Syracuse. You know, in those those years on the Cavs, and he he has always. I mean, he he believed he really believed he was better than Kyrie Irving. I can't wait to see those two guys in practice. Can we get that? First unit and second unit shooting guard Jimmy Butler and Dion Waiters. When going Dion at Waiters it. is that lean, does he look jacked that, the way that Jimmy Butler does? I mean, no one, Not no one jacked. looks as jacked Jimmy, as but, Jimmy but Butler, but he's a fit yeah. dude. We could say svelte. We won't say jacked. I think the dunked on guys made a joke that that Dwight Howard had lost 25 pounds so many times that he basically didn't exist anymore. <laughs> well, because he, says he is just a role season. player now, yeah. and he's accepted that. Yeah. According I'm to interested in talking about him when we get Lakers, to the Lakers. I'm interested yeah. in talking about the Lakers, period. But the interesting part about Dion, we'll come back to that, Kyle, what's going to happen with Tyler? You know, their wonderful new shooting guard that they're so happy and optimistic about. Does this kid get minutes? I mean, I think he'll get minutes. Uh, I think the Heat like him. He can shoot. They, they're they sore for shooting. They don't have a lot of shooting on the team. But he's a rookie. Um, it's the Heat organization. It's Pat Riley. It's Eric Spolstra. So they're not exactly just giving away minutes, especially since they got Jimmy Butler. They're definitely in win-now mode. Like I said, they're trying to trade for Bradley Beal, or they want Bradley Beal. I don't know if that trade is will ever be possible, but they don't exactly – they can't miss the playoffs this year. You know, that that would not be what Jimmy Butler signed up for. That would not be what they paid for, what they wanted. So, um, you know, the stakes aren't that high, but they are kind of high. So can I ask you, Jalen, 
we only saw Seku Dumbuya once in Summer League. Um, do you still agree, though, or, do, or have you seen enough of Tyler Hero to say that the Heat made the correct choice in drafting him over Seku? So I think if we're thinking short term, I think he'll definitely be able to produce more than Seku in the immediate. Um, I think he's going to walk into the league and, you know, I'll go out on a limb. I'll say he shoots 37% from three this year. Um, so I think they, like I said, they don't have a lot of shooting on the team. If he's shooting 37%, that would put him on the depth chart higher than Dion Waiters to me. Spolstra has said, and I quote, Probably. I'm not sure if I have it right. I quote, Tyler will play himself into a role. I don't want that, know what that means coming from Spolstro, but I think it's what you just said, Kyle. So, again, I'm, like, doing a poor job of crediting people, but I saw on Twitter that Tyler Hero's um, pick-and-roll numbers are pretty similar to Steph Curry's uh, when it was his junior year. Yeah, and in terms of shooting numbers, and this is like from Synergy, so we don't have a way of looking this up. His ISO numbers were not similar at all, so I think there's a clear drop-off in terms of the shake to his game. He he can handle the ball, but I think he's a much stiffer mover and driver than someone like Steph Curry or the more explosive guards that you're going to think of. But I think the shooting talent is real. Um, and again, so I think, yeah, I, don't, I think I'm going out on a limb, but maybe not so much to say he's going to shoot 37% from three this year. And fun fact, Dion Dion also shot 37% from three last year. <laughs> he only played 44 games, though. Um, so the thing, the th- I think the thing with Dion is that if you just if he just attacks closeout and stands in the corner and shoots threes and shoots a corner three and shoots his spot up threes, then you really like what you're getting from Dion. But he's never or he hasn't really ever decided to do that. He's always wanted to take his ISOs and uh, you know pound the heck out of the ball. So yeah. We've spent a lot of time on the shooting guard position. Uh, let's move on to the power forward because I have an interesting question there, and I think yeah. it can go pretty quickly. It's an interesting so spot there, on this. Yeah, so well, there, what do you think, Kyle? So what there, do you there, think about Hero? I think that he could come in and be a shooter. Um, very rarely do rookies come in the league and, and play as great shooters. Um, 37% seems, if he did it, it would be excellent for a rookie. Um, it seems to me a little high. I would expect more like 35. Um, and I think that that drop off of two percentage points is a big drop off in minutes. You know, it's the difference between him getting maybe 18 minutes a game and like Under 12 yeah. or, or even 10. Yeah. And um, I like him. I, I think that, you know, I also like the heat play player development. They've, they have a proven track record over the years of, developing players and i think in the long run he could be a a really you know solid addition i personally hope that they were wrong because (laughs) i want seku to be i mean only because i'm a pistons fan really though i want seku to be you know a brilliant player i want him to be like a Giannis type player who you know um, develops with a team and then the team develops around him and he is a sort of you know, league altering force. Yeah, I um, think Seku has much more potential to be that than Hero does. But Definitely. but Hero is going to come right in, as you're saying, and he's going to he's going to have a skill set that is valuable from the get go. Whereas Seku is is a combination of smaller tools that could develop into something you know really explosive, but that also you know, couldn't. I mean, he he seems to have a um, a lower floor as well as a higher ceiling. Yeah, so to talk about the power forward, um, which I just think is a quick position for us to go through, and then maybe we can work in order from point guard up to center. Um, I want to ask the question of whether you think that James Johnson can move back into the starting lineup. Obviously, by my asking that question, I have a real suspicion that he could do it. I think that he... You know, he's had now um, an off season to get over the injuries that plagued him last year. I think that he's a really, you know, a, a, a he's a smart player, too. He's a smart, solid player who 
if he's moving well enough, is going to provide more defense than Kelly Olenek is and can still give you, you know, serviceable shooting. The um, A lot of the things I've read uh, so far, just looking at the depth charts and potential starting lineup, a lot of them have Olenek starting. That's what I Williams mean. Williams backing up, right. Um, and But in that discussion, they're saying Olenek is getting this chance to start. And unless he's hitting that three consistently and doing a couple other things he hasn't been able to do consistently, we might be seeing James Johnson back at the starting power forward. I'm sure one of the reasons also why – we're hearing all this talk of Kelly Olynyk moving into the starting lineup is one of James Johnson's biggest assets is that he's he's a he's a good passing power forward and he's not going to need to do quite as much of that when you have Justice Winslow and Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic you know they could do a, a you know a warriors style everybody's passing but i don't think that they have quite enough shooting to be able to pull that off um, with James Johnson out there. And so you can see a real reason to sacrifice a little bit of ball handling um, and a little toughness too, I think, with him. Definitely. Um, for some more shooting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Um, Olenek is going to provide more in the way of three-point shooting and James Johnson is going to provide more in the way of sort of ball handling, uh passing you know giving you some assist but in a starting lineup that has is likely going to have justice winslow uh jimmy butler or goran Dragic, so it's going to have two of the three likely you know you probably don't need more on the ball creation from your power forward position and you want to have that position be used for spacing especially since um even though bam is more mobile and i think has a more reliable jump shot than Hassan Whiteside, we haven't seen him consistently knock down the three in the NBA, even though there's talk of it, um, that he's extending out to the three. I've seen some videos of him sort of working on ball handling drills and taking threes and taking step backs and these sorts of things. But obviously it takes time to implement them uh, into the regular season. So I think the Heat, as I said before, are a team that doesn't have a lot of stretch um, from many of their positions. I don't think they have a lot of plus three-point shooters. So Olenek is one I think that is pretty reliable in that regard, so they definitely want to use him um, to to get those three points and get the spacing that comes with his shooting ability. So I guess I guess what I would say is I don't expect Johnson to start. Um, My question was whether you thought that he could move back into the starting lineup. I mean, of course. I mean, of course it could happen. Spolstra, uh, you know, has a track record of changing the lineups. You know, and in that sense, he'll probably get his opportunities throughout yeah, the season. Whether to do it's it. but, injury but it's or whether, a bad week from Olenek or whatever it is, I'm sure he'll start some games. But I was sort of asking if to put to phrase it this way, you knowing that there are obviously variations that you're going to have throughout a season. Whether by the end of the season there would be a shifting of weight, right? Where at the beginning of the season, the the, the team is going to put the weight on Olenek to start with James Johnson coming off the bench. And as the season goes on, that Johnson could prove himself so valuable in the starting lineup that the weight would shift back to him. And while you still might see some variation, you know, for Mm -hmm. matchups, that he would be the sort of de facto starter going into what they hope this year and what I imagine in a weak Eastern conference will be into a playoff run. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess my expectation is no, that the weight will sort of remain with Olenek to start. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I think that's what I would say. And then in the playoffs, obviously things change. It becomes matchup dependent. Um, But I think having Johnson kind of wreak havoc in the second unit, be that point forward, uh, have him handle the ball um, can really help. And also I think an underrated thing is Johnson's not necessarily a great rebounder, which would surprise you. Um, and the Heat are also kind of short on rebounding this year. And Olenek does fight for rebounds. Yeah. Gets good rebound number. I mean, for as a f- fantasy point, he'll get you rebounds, he'll get you three-pointers, he'll give you good percentages. Yes, that's all true, but we're also talking about two guys who are basically going to be splitting minutes at the power forward position. I think if you can get a power forward who's 30 minutes and up, that's where you go. Maybe not the best choice either of them for your fantasy team i expect both of them to be rostered in our league but we have 14 teams we're deep yeah the the rostered in deep leagues i think your standard nine cat 12 team 
Yahoo League, probably not on either. Yeah, I should say if healthy, of course. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, so um, Do you want to go through the other positions Yeah, I was going to say. So the point guard will be going back to Goran Dragic. Um, healthy now, but we saw some great flashes from Winslow last year at the point guard. How's that going to work out? It's interesting. I mean, as we were saying before, they really have three players who can function as primary ball handlers, um, Dragic, Butler, and Winslow. Um, they are they're a little shallow at the point guard position. Um, they have a backup of um, Kendrick Nunn right now listed. Um, you imagine what that really means is that the backup point guard duties are probably going to go to Justice Winslow. Yeah. Um, that Monster has him as the backup yeah, point that guard. They'll stagger the lineups. He, he may start at small forward. Probably Dragic will get the first break and he'll play as the you know, the the point guard of the second unit and then alternate with him until probably the closing lineup when they'll both be out there again or, or something along those lines. I mean, Jalen, maybe you have a better read of how that would play out. But I mean, the only thing I was going to say is I'm looking at the depth chart now on ESPN and Real GM, and I don't really see a way in which Winslow doesn't start because – so, I guess I guess what if the there's issues? a the only person who could start in Winslow's place is Hero, um, because you move Jimmy to the three, you move Hero to the two, you let uh, Winslow come off the bench and be the backup point guard and run second units, or you could swap uh, Winslow for Dragic at the pure point. But the reason why I say I I find it hard to see Winslow not starting is because if you have Jimmy Winslow and Bam in the starting lineup those are three really good defenders uh specifically with Jimmy and Winslow and maybe to a smaller degree with Bam they can also switch across a few positions so Jimmy can guard the two the three maybe in a pinch he can guard a smaller four um Justice Winslow same thing uh Bam can guard a five obviously and if the four isn't hyper mobile he can also guard the four um I saw him guard uh Giannis last year and do a pretty good job on it in fairness to Giannis and the Bucks it was after a back-to-back and it was like a it was one of the worst back-to-backs in the league's history they scored like nine points in the in the first quarter of the game it like set a record so it certainly was not a typical game for Giannis but just to say Bam can guard more mobile sort of forward types. And we hadn't even talked yet about the possibility that the two power forwards could play together and Olenek could play as a center and James Johnson as a power forward and then you keep the the other three the way they are. Or in a different lineup that you could put um, Olenek at the center, Justice Winslow as a power forward, um, and then move Jimmy Butler up to the three and bring in Tyler Hero, mm-hmm. um, you know, d- depending on whether Deion he, Waiters, De- Deion Waiters <laughs> wants it to be him for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, just pointing out different ways that they can stagger that big man rotation in a league that has gone smaller. It's yeah. one of the big questions with the Heat. We don't fully know what those rotations will be. We don't fully know how Winslow is going to be used. We saw him do a lot of different things last year, and it's not entirely clear how that's going to work. Yeah, what I'm seeing is that versatile wings. You know, we just talked about the Charlotte Hornets who don't have like a whole lot of options for a pure threes in the league. Um, and I, when I say pure three, I mean the guy who's mobile, right? We're not just talking about a 6'10 dude who's a who's a five maybe in the past who's now a four because of the way the league is working. Um, you know, we're talking about, you know, your LeBron James types, your Kawhi Leonard's, your Rudy Gay's, the guys who can handle the ball, who can shoot. Uh, and who can also maybe play up um, based on their strength and guard in the post, uh, guard some fours. Um, you know, there aren't that many of those guys in the league in general. And I think we saw with the Hornets and now with the Heat that they don't have too many of those guys traditionally. I mean, Winslow is, can do it, I think, even though he's listed at six seven, But I think, you know, he can guard threes, he can guard fours in a pinch. Uh, but as far as the rest of the options at three, Derek Jones and Duncan Robinson – you're not, you're not confident that they can do that. So if you're if you're a GM, draft athletic six eight guys. It's a revelation. I'm sure you've never thought of this before. <laughs> I was actually going to make the exact same point that, that they're you know they're the antithesis of the the Hornets and probably the 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 team. I could see. Orlando winning this division again, but I think with the addition of Jimmy Butler. 
what a star can do in the final five minutes of a game and the number of games that you can win that you wouldn't have been able to win before is just so great that I think that they eke out just enough that they could win the division this year. And yeah, and so in that sense, they're the antithesis of the Hornets. They, they're actually really similar in the sense that they, they're loaded up with these wings, right? They're, they're a team full of wings, but they are a team full of versatile wings, whereas the Hornets are a team of really redundant wings who kind of all do the same kind of defense, defense and rebounding, um, you know, little passing, little shooting. Yeah. yeah a couple other fantasy notes. Um, we, we, we've talked about BAM. And his big upside, I think he's a, a, a really wonderful pick um, for any league. Um, I'm I'm really interested in Winslow from a fantasy perspective. Some of his defensive numbers late last year were really great. Um, and he could provide some out-of-position numbers um, that could be really good for the right build. And uh, again, just want to reiterate, uh, I would stay away from that point or power forward position with the Heat in fantasy um, unless you're getting in cheap 